0: Today's scripture reading comes from Psalm 1. You can follow along in your Bible or in your worship guide. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospered. The wicked are not so, but are like shaft that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love.
1: Two roads diverged in a yellow wood, and sorry I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood, and looked down one as far as I could to where it bent in the undergrowth. Then took the other as just as fair, and having perhaps the better claim because it was grassy and wanted wear, though as for that the passing there had worn them really about the same. And both that morning equally lay. In leaves, no step had trodden black. Oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. I shall be telling this with a sigh. Somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Robert Frost in these lines helps us to see that the choices we make and the paths we take each day do make all the difference. The author of Psalm 1 echoes this in these six very simple but profound verses as he presents two different roads that I want us to consider this morning. The first road is the road that leads to happiness. And the second is the road that leads to doom. Pray with me. Father, we ask that you would come. That you would take this very familiar psalm to so many of us. And give us fresh eyes and ears to see and to hear. And Lord, for those that might be on the path, the road to doom this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would capture their hearts. And for those of us that are on the road to happiness, Lord, would you keep our path straight and help us to delight in your word. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I want you to pull out your bulletins because we're going to dig into this uh, psalm this morning, or you can open up your Bible or you can look on your phone. And the first thing they want us to look at is the road to happiness. Now, the world, when, when we think of happiness, they, they tell us that it comes in many different things. For example, many suggest that happiness comes from autonomy. Simon and Garfunkel, I'm probably dating myself, uh, came up with a famous song, I Am a Rock, and it champions this idea with the iconic lyrics. I am a rock, I am an island. I am the master of my own domain. And as long as I stay in control of my life and not worry about your life, I will be happy. Others suggest that wealth, Brings happiness. Uh, This was certainly true of my family. I can remember as a young boy my grandfather boasting about his money and um, boasting that he was able to retire at the age of 50 and take my grandmother, and they traveled all over the world. He would come back and he'd bring us little trinkets from different places. And he never said to me, Todd, uh, wealth leads to happiness. He didn't say it directly, but by his actions, and by the fact that he'd give me and my brothers money for every A that we made on our report card, that helped us to see that, yes, wealth and success might lead to happiness. And while the world tells us that autonomy and wealth and pleasure and a plethora of other things bring happiness, the psalmist here tells us that happiness comes as a result of delighting in and meditating on the law of the Lord. It is the practice that we do every week as we open up God's word here in the service. And I hope it's the practice that you do every day in your individual times with the Lord. Now, if you look look at verse 1, he starts by saying, Blessed is the man. Blessed in Hebrew literally means happy. And it's interesting to note that in the Psalms, blessed is repeated 26 times. And oftentimes we think of happiness one dimensional. We think of it more as a a feeling. But that's not what the psalmists think of when they think of happiness. It's not just a feeling, a good feeling. It's so much more. And I just want to share with you four instances. One is Psalm 32, verse 1 through 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. In these verses, the idea of blessedness is tied to forgiveness of sins. To our iniquity being taken away, our debt being canceled. And so happiness isn't just a good feeling, it is the full feeling of knowing that we are forgiven by a holy and loving God. In Psalm 34, 8, the psalmist writes, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Blessed here is is a, a safety and a refuge and a protection. And so a happiness comes as we know that our loving Father wraps his arms around us and protects us from the evil. Psalm 65, 4 says, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Here the psalmist speaks of the happiness that comes as a result of being chosen adopted and taken into the king's house and given a seat at his table to feast all the days of our lives. And then lastly, Psalm 89, 15. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, O Lord, in the light of your face. Happiness here means being warmed by the light of God's face. You know, you go out in the morning sometimes and it's a cool morning and the sun hits your face and it just warms you. Your whole body is filled with a sense of God's presence. The psalm is is saying that happiness is not just a passing emotion or a foundationless happiness like the happiness that Pharaoh Williams sings about in his song, Happy inviting us to simply clap along with Him. No, happiness is multifaceted. It is the rejoicing of knowing that our sins are forgiving. It's the joy that comes from knowing that we're safe in God's loving arms. It's the satisfaction of feasting all our days at the King's table and walking in the light of His glorious face. George MacDonald uh, wrote a fairy tale and it's called the Light Princess. And this young woman, she was uh, basically cursed as a young woman. And the curse was that she was weightlessness. She Gravity had no hold on her. And so they literally, she would just fly up in the air and they had to tie strings to hold her at all times. And then one young prince came along. And that prince saw her... Kind of made fun of her at first, and she cried and was upset about it. But then, he fell in love with her. Even though she always had to be tied down by strings, or the wind would blow her away, or she would float up into the air. And when he fell in love with her, that love broke that curse. And she was forever grounded in his love. I think that's a beautiful picture of happiness. Happiness is being grounded in God's love. Not weightless, not blown by the winds of our circumstances. No matter what comes our way, we are happy. We are grounded in the love of God. Now, who in this room would not want to know how in the world do we get this happiness, this incredible happiness. Well, the psalmist tells us that their way to happiness is by obeying three negatives and two positives. First, let's look at the three negatives. He writes, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. If you look at this verse, the psalmist gives us three groups of three words that flow from lesser engagement to fuller commitment that the psalmist is encouraging us not to do if we want to experience happiness. If you look at it, it says walk. Not blessed is the person who walks not who listens not to the counsel, the advice of the wicked and the wicked here is a general sense of evil. And then he goes on to say, nor stands after he's listened to the counsel, to the advice of the evil, nor stands, nor begins to consider that advice and walk in the path of sinners and this is more specific those who break the law of god nor sits so after he's listened he's considered he is moving full force toward the wisdom of the wicked so much so that he is fully engaged sitting at the seat surrounded by other wicked people who are thinking wicked thoughts who are scoffers, who have no shame and are actually bragging about the wicked thoughts that they have. The psalmist is saying there's a progression here. And if we want to experience happiness, then we are not to walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the way of the sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The psalmist is saying the road to happiness is one in which we avoid this movement from walking, standing, and sitting in the seat of scoffers. And and let me pause here for a moment because we listen to this and we think, okay, you know, I got that. I'm not going to walk. I'm not going to listen to the advice. I'm not going to then begin to consider it. And I'm certainly not going to sit at the seat of scoffers. But we live in a technological society that makes this so difficult to actually not do these things. We have access to the world's wisdom at our fingertips through our mobile devices and tablets. With 24-hour news channels, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, and podcasts galore, there is no lack when it comes to the counsel of the wicked, the way of the sinner, And the invitation to sit at the seat of scoffers. We are inundated with it 24-7. Like many generations before us, never were. And though there's good things about technology, I'm not saying that it's all bad. We need to be aware that it's constantly coming at us. But the good news of the gospel is that for those of us who profess faith in Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is living in us to help us discern when we're on our phone and we're looking at the news to discern between truth, God's truth, and the world's lies. The Holy Spirit is walking with us daily and enlightens His word so that we might not... Walk, stand, and sit in the seat of the scoffers. And so the road to happiness begins with these three negatives, but it doesn't end there. The psalmist then presents two positives. In verse 2, the psalmist writes, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Now, I want to first draw our attention to the word law here. For some of us, many of us, when we think of law, we have negative connotations. But the Hebrew word here for law is Torah, which means instruction. The law is God's instruction to his people. There's a great synopsis in Psalm 19, verses 7 through 10. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. In these verses, they're saying that the law is perfect. The law is the testimony about who God is. The law are his precepts. The law is pure and true. And it enlightens our eyes. John Piper says, the psalmist here is saying, the law is everything God says. Whether he's guiding, describing, or commanding. The law that the psalmist is speaking here is God's special revelation found in the Old and New Testaments. And in Psalm 1, verse 2, the psalmist is saying, the road to happiness, this groundedness in God's love that brings great joy comes to the person who delights in the law of God and meditates on His law day and night. You see, the secret to happiness is to delight in the instruction of the Lord. Now, think for a moment. Why did he write the word delight? Why didn't he stick with his three prior words of, of walk and stand and sit? Why didn't the psalmist just say you know, we need to to not we need to walk to listen to the truth of the gospel. We need to stand, we need to consider God's word. And then once we've listened and consider God's word and the goodness of it, then we sit at the table of the saints and, and instead of scoffing, we rejoice. He could have easily have done that. That would have made total sense. Why? Why didn't the psalmist write it that way? I believe and many commentaries suggest that the reason why he chose the word delight is that walk, stand, and sit deals with the mind and the body. The word delight deals with the mind, the body, and our emotions. Basically, our whole being. To delight in something is to savor it. It is to cherish it with your whole being. To delight in the word is so much more than a Bible study to gain knowledge. It is a Bible study in which you and others cherish every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's, it's like, you know, when you, you have a crush on a, a girl or if you're a guy and you have a, a, a girl and have a crush on a guy and they send you a letter. And it's kind of a love letter. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that letter again and again and again. And I cherish it. And I go back to certain words and think, oh my gosh, she said I was cute. And you know, and I think about what that means. Oh, I'm cute. That's that's cool. That is the delighting. Cherishing in God's word. And the psalmist is saying if we're going to experience this happiness, this joy that he's offering to us, then we need to delight in the instruction of God. But he doesn't stop there with that one positive. He goes on to say that not only do we delight, but that our delight propels us to meditate on it day and night. Now, when we think of meditation, we think of Eastern meditation, which is actually the act of emptying our minds. But in the ancient Near East, meditation wasn't an emptying of our minds at all. It was actually a feeling, filling of our minds with the instructions of God. You see, it wasn't until several hundred years ago that we actually had a Bible that we could read. In written form. Prior to this the word was passed down orally. And so the Hebrew word for meditate. Literally means to murmur. To whisper. The people would hear the word of God. And they would memorize it. And how did they memorize it? They would repeat it to themselves throughout the day. They would murmur it. They would whisper it to themselves day and night. And as I was thinking about this, I couldn't help but think of the Negro spirituals and just the beauty that the African-Americans had in the midst of such horrific circumstances, knowing that they needed to be grounded in God's love and His grace. And what did they do? They would sing these spirituals, many that were laced with the truth, Of God's instruction. And they would sing them over and over and over again. And they would pass them down to their children. So that they would memorize them and know them. This is what the psalmist is calling us to do. He's calling us to delight ourselves in the Word of God. To memorize His Word. So much so that throughout the day. The word is written on our hearts that we are silently speaking it no matter what the circumstance. Yesterday I was walking. Um, My aunt died this week and she was 87 and a believer. And there was much celebration, but there was also sadness. And as I was thinking about that and walking around the neighborhood, I felt sadness overwhelm me. And then I, I literally thought of Psalm 1. And how do I I have joy in the midst of this sadness of knowing that I'm not going to see her for a while until Jesus takes me home? And He brought to mind Scripture. He brought to mind His Word saying that His love is steadfast and that my aunt is with Him in glory and that one day I will stand and we will all stand and we will see him face to face where there will be no more weeping, no more sadness, no more sorrow. If we're going to experience happiness in this world, a true happiness, the psalmist is saying we need to delight in God's word. And to meditate on it day and night. And if we do that, the psalmist <clears throat> says in verse 3. That we will be like a tree planted by streams of water. That yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. I love this picture. This picture. Trees are strong, they're beautiful. A normal tree's survival is dependent on external forces such as rain and sun and wind. But the psalmist says, not this tree. For he will be planted by streams of water. Streams of God's grace that sustain it regardless of external circumstances. And because God sustains it, he will bear fruit. Its leaf will never wither. And in all that he does, he will prosper. Those who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law, they will be like this tree. Planted by streams of God's grace and mercy. Bearing great fruit. Grounded in his love. Knowing the joy of the Lord. So the road road to happiness comes as we say no to the advice of the wicked and instead delight and meditate on God's word. To those who do this, we will be trees planted by streams of grace. And I wish the psalmist stopped here. Don't you? He said, okay, that's great. Here's happiness. This is how you have happiness. But he doesn't. He gives us a second road, a sobering road, a road that really should cause all of us to tremble, a road that leads to doom. In verses four through six, the psalmist writes, the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners In the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. But the way of the wicked will perish. Like in Robert Frost's poem, there are two roads. The first is delighting in God's word, which leads to happiness in life. And the second is choosing to walk, to stand, to sit in the way of the wicked. Sinners and scoffers and forsaking the truth of the gospel. I mean, this is a sobering thought that those neighbors and friends, co-workers and students that are sitting next to us, who aren't delighting in God's word, who aren't meditating on God's truth, it's very hard to say, and again, it's a sobering saying. But those folks that are on that road are destined to destruction, to doom. They will not be amongst the congregation. They will not see my Aunt Doris, who's now with Jesus. Why? Why would the psalmist give us such a sobering warning? And I believe it's because the psalmist knows the Father's heart. He knows of the free offer of the gospel, and he knows that it's the Father's desire that none should perish. So the psalmist gives us the stark reality of the road that leads to doom. Not to depress us, but to exhort us. To exhort us to delight and meditate in God's word in such a way that it transforms us and motivates us and compels us. Because we have this happiness that the world doesn't have and we want to share that. With our coworkers, with our neighbors, with our friends and with our family members who we know that the psalmist is saying are headed toward doom and destruction. I mean, to not do that is literally watching somebody drown in the ocean. You've got a life preserver and you just sit there and say, I'm not going to throw you the life preserver. The psalmist is saying that is not your father's heart for you or for the world. He gave his son for the world. His heart is that none would perish. And I believe the psalmist ends with these three sobering words to encourage us so that we might Meditate on His Word and delight in it and then go out and preach the good news of the Gospel to everyone that we come in contact with. So I wonder this morning, which road are you on? Are you on the road to happiness? Are you choosing to not be the person who, stand, who walks, who stands and sits in the seat of scoffers, but instead delights and meditates on God's word? Or are you on the road to doom? Who, you know, maybe looks at this book and thinks it's nonsense and thinks it's just a book instead of seeing it as the holy word of God, given it to us by a loving father. My hope and why we study this word every week and practice this is that we are a people who delight in the law and meditate on it. And that we are a people who are inviting our friends and our neighbors and our classmates to come on Sunday mornings so that they too might begin to hear this truth that would bring great delight and joy. I want to close this morning by asking John to come and share a few for a few minutes about his journey down this road less traveled with some other guys on Wednesday morning here at Hope Chapel. Good
0: morning, everybody. I'm John. For those of you that don't know me, um, some of you may know me better as Haven's husband. She's much more famous than I am, for sure. Um, But yeah, Todd asked me to come and just share a little bit about the Wednesday morning men's Bible study um, and what I've been getting out of that. I've been going for about six weeks now. Um, It's at 6.15 in the mornings. That was the biggest um, setback for me, or at least roadblock. Am I going to actually get up this early to go to this thing every week? But it's been incredibly worthwhile. Um, We've got probably 12, maybe 15 that come pretty regularly and uh, it's a little bit different of a project on Wednesday morning than what you might get out of your, your community groups on Sunday. I think Sunday is a time for families to come together, um, to really engage and enjoy time together, to talk about what's going on in their week and in their life, to pray over each other, and to talk about how the sermon has maybe impacted them. But Wednesday morning is a much more focused, um, dare I say intense, look at the scriptures. And there's two things that, that I've really gotten out of this in these six weeks, and it makes me want to come back each week. Um, the first is that it, it's a group of men who care first and foremost about the meaning of the Scripture before they ask the second question of what it, how does it impact me or what's its significance. And I'll kind of tease that out. I think a lot of times it's easy to come to Scripture when you're reading by yourself or even in a group, and you just kind of read it. And each person asks, well, how do I feel about this? How do, how, what do these words mean to me? Without going through the, the work of asking first, well, what did the author intend? What is this text trying to say? Do we really understand what it means before we ask that second question of how does it impact us? And, you know, if we look at this as literally God's words to us, God has a message for us. He's trying to say something to us through the text. And uh, asking that first question of, well, what's its meaning uh, and then taking that meaning and applying it and talking about the significance um, is something I've really enjoyed about about those Wednesday mornings. The second one, um, and this goes a lot to what Todd's been preaching about this morning, is are we looking at Scripture as merely one source of wisdom or one source of truth and potential advice or knowledge that we treat like anything else? Um, and, and, th- and what I mean by that, do we ask, well, let me read it. Let me see what the scripture is teaching me, and then I'll decide if I agree with it or if I like it. That's not what the Christian is called to do, and it's not what we try to do on Wednesday mornings. People come on Wednesday morning, and we as Christians should be coming to the text saying, God, this is your word. I'm fully submitted to this. My tree is going to be rooted in this ground. And whatever it is you're going to tell me to do, whatever it is you have for me today, whatever it is you're going to teach me through your text, that is what I'm going to do, and I'm going to obey it. And so we're submitted first to what it means and what God's trying to say to us, and then we learn about what it's saying and try to apply that. And it's never easy. It's really hard. And having a group of men to talk through that struggle with and um, to know that everyone in the room is submitted to the text, and therefore we can challenge each other and push each other towards living that out. Um, no matter how hard it might be, is extremely valuable. Um, And so those are the the two big things that I've really appreciated about Wednesday morning um, as opposed to maybe some of the other things we we do here at church. And I just want to challenge for those of you guys that are like, man, again, 6.15 is way too early. I don't want to get up for this. I'm not in the habit of getting up that early. Um, Just for me, it was about asking myself, what is it that I do on Tuesday night?" after 9 o'clock. Is it really productive? No. I I waste time on the phone, watching TV, watching YouTube, and all I have to do is go to bed 30 minutes to an hour earlier, and I've got the sleep I need to make myself get up and get into that habit. So I would really challenge you guys to make this a priority um, if you can fit it in on Wednesday mornings, and I think you're going to get a lot out of it, um, being rooted in the scripture, submitted to it, and having a group of guys to talk through it with and really understand what the Scripture means. Um, So we would love to see you there on Wednesdays.